and turn open to Exodus chapter 32 from verse 1. So Exodus chapter 32 and Betty's going to come and read from verse 1 through to verse 14. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us God who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron said, answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took them when they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are our gods, O Israel, who brought, us, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are our gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. O Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, It was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, And I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. I'm not here, am I? Can I um, take this out? Is that right? I'll just throw it away. I'm sure you understand what that uh, says. So you'll see that around lots and lots of places. Anyone knows what it says? You need to know. Yeah, it's Russian. It means this. <laughs> yeah. And you see things like this too. Uh, lots of places, please keep off the grass. And sometimes 
bit more pleasant, you know. <laughs> I can't say the German, but it always sounds aggressive. I'm married to a German. Uh, keep off the grass, you know. That's the sort of idea. Um, sometimes, of course, more gentle. The grass is smiling at you. Please detour. <laughs> I like your smile, but unlike you, put your shoes on my face. I think I know what it means. Sort of a rough English translation of the uh, Japanese, you know, please keep off the grass. What is it about those signs, though? As soon as we see wet paint, keep off the grass, we're more like these characters. They like to sit around, ah, keep off the grass, good place for a picnic, ha-ha, ha-ha. Because that's us. We have this, this within us, as soon as something is said in certain things, we want to do the opposite. Well, this morning we're looking at, uh, in Exodus, and if you have your Bible, please keep Exodus open. Exodus 32, 34, a number of chapters, we're just going to fly through it reasonably quickly and pick up the the most important issues and points that are here. Before we do that, I'd just like to pray. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you might help us. Help us to concentrate this morning. Just for this moment now, we pray we might open ourselves up to see you in all your glory, that we might hear you speak, that, Lord, you might have the microphone and that you might be known and understood to be the God who has done all things for us. You are the God who is to be revered, worshipped and honoured. You are the only God. Help us to serve and trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. So when God says, and he's just, it's just been part of the commandments, don't have any idols, no statues to represent me. What does Israel do very quickly? Yep, there is a golden calf. Go figure. What? What's going on with this? Can you imagine the other nations coming to Israel and saying, oh, so your God is a what? Oh, it's a calf. Oh, a golden calf. Precious calf. Oh, really? That's a good question, though. Who is your God? Just who do you serve? What do you serve? So we're going to move through that and pick this up. And as we go through, you'll notice we've moved on. I hope that uh, the last thing you were looking at were commandments. Um, we're jumping ahead a few chapters. Exodus 25 to 31, uh, there is the explanation about the tabernacle, that big tent. Um, Yahweh is going to engage this nation and uh, a tabernacle is to be built in the midst of them. Now, just started on that sort of information and we get these chapters. Uh, Moses has just received these two stone tablets inscribed by the finger of God, 31, chapter 31, verse 18. The scene changes though because we come down the mountain and it's been about 40 days, almost 40 days since Moses has left to go up the mountain to speak with God and God to reveal things to him. But things have got ugly. If you have your Bible with you, just move down. We're going into verse uh, chapter 32 and verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, 
We don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off your gold earrings that your, uh, that your wives, your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into a, an idol cast in the shape of a calf and fashioned it with a, with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Israel. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early, sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Yep, these are the people in chapter 24 who'd said, Everything the Lord says, we will obey, we will do. But Israel wants some gods. It's plural, but the issue is not so much having many gods. Um, God, God is community, and for the Old Testament saint, remember way back in Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It sounds singular. In the original language it's plural, Elohim. Um, God is community. I don't think it's so much an issue as hankering after other gods at this point. It's more about idolatry. They manufacture something which is for their eyes to represent Yahweh. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. Verse 4, Aaron then says, he builds an altar in front of the the calf and announced tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. And the word is Yahweh, singular. That's the idea. Israel wants something, some image of their choosing. This is nothing of God. They've they've got this golden calf. It's not a golden herd, but it is a golden calf. And it's this calf, this strong, this noble critter. And Yahweh must be flattered to think that it will be made out of gold. Surely this is their thinking. And this is Egyptian gold. This is what they've plundered as they've come out of Egypt. So Yahweh is reshaped, golden calf, and worship is redefined. Notice they sat down to eat and drink. They got up to indulge in revelry. They got up to, some translations, play. This is a party gone out of control. This went to Facebook. It's gone all over the place. This is sort of huge. This is getting into orgy stage. But that's how the other nations do it. They've seen it. They've lived for hundreds of years in Egypt. And even though God has been clear, precise, he's told them what holiness looks like. He knows this is what righteousness is, outlined commandments, statutes, and still the people insult God by their rebellion and disobedience. Will they trust God at this point? Will they believe him at his word? They will not. They will not. They've opened fire on God, really. Uh, here is the stupidity of making a golden calf. Moses is up the mountain. He's only just bringing down these commandments down, down from the mountain. These instructions about the tabernacle are going on. And, and they're making a golden calf? This is, this is rebelliousness of the first order. This is like having an affair on your honeymoon. This is, this is absolutely stupid. Why <laughs> would you go down this path? But they do. 
they want something. And if you know rebelliousness, you know that's exactly how you think. The plans are in your head. No one's going to tell you what to do. You might even know what God wants. And sometimes we do know what God wants, but we're determined to sort of not listen to him anymore. Close the Bible. Don't listen to Christian friends. Move out of church. I don't want to listen to what God... I just want to do what I want to do. Isn't that rebellion? No interest. Don't care. And you're not waiting any longer. And that's these people. They take this invisible personal God and make it into something which is very visible and impersonal. Here is your God. That's a joke. Not only is it disobedient, the relationship between God and this nation Israel has been violated. Now that's the way of our world, isn't it? Isn't that what we see around us? Isn't that what creeps into our hearts? Design your own God, design your own ethics. Isn't that what we're seeing? Do it the way you like it. Isn't it the majority moral opinion is what we should see? We decide what's good and evil. It's Genesis 3 all over again. Can you really trust God when he said what he is like and what he wants? It's the way of our world. It's superstitious. It's idolatrous. And we can you know, smirk at that primitive stuff. You go to a museum, you see these little gods of stone and wood, and we think, oh, it's silly, isn't it? Making little idols, making little statues, little gold calves, little fat Buddhas. But you see, we try and control things. We try and move things. And spirituality, it's a lot like that in the Northern Rivers, isn't it? I mean, up where, around where we are, there are spiritual meditation farms. You can go there, just got to learn, just got to do things, got to understand what, you know, I can work this out. I've got a spiritual mind, I can do this. But you see, all of that is just idolatry. It's just... Our guesses at God. It's designing in our image the God that we want. Let's make a God that we like. Let's, let's even make it in our thoughts and movements and think, yeah, this is the God I can control. This is the God I can domesticate. This is the sort of God I want. This is the sort of God I believe in. You heard that? I <laughs> know, oh, the God I believe in is... And it's sad. Because here is a God who communicates with us, speaks to us and tells us exactly how it is that we can relate and engage with him. Now we're back in the Old Testament, an old covenant. Just keep that in mind as we move through. It's subtle. I don't think anyone, well I trust that no one's sort of saying, well I want to move away from Jesus and I'll go to Muhammad, or I'll go to Buddha. I don't think that's necessarily in our thinking, but we can, be, we can be drawn aside, can't we? Start to airbrush what the gospel is. Is there really a place called hell? Is it? Well, I don't understand how you can have righteousness and justice without a hell. And when the Bible talks about some things, they get a bit uncomfortable and our world is sort of grappling with the same sex issue, isn't it? Well, you know, we can sort of, can't we jink that a little in our Christian faith? And I'm sure God really 
wants me to have my family as my first priority. I'm sure that's okay. Yeah. Isn't he happy? I'm the, I'm the sort of Christian that doesn't rock the boat. I'm the sort of Christian that really doesn't tries to blend in with society and that'll be okay. God will be happy with that. Sure, that's what we ought to do. And we can start taking the distinctive out of being the people of God and start behaving like anything but the people of God. And that's what we're seeing here. Israel behaving badly. But Moses takes this up, coming down the mountain. But just before, verse 7, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have have become corrupt. They They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol, a cast idol in the shape of a calf. They have bound down to it and sacrificed to it, have said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses. They are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. Moses, not happy, Jan. But notice there is zero tolerance on sin in God's heart. Keep it in your head. Zero tolerance. God here disowns his people. It's a nation he's just taken through. It's a nation that had been protected and cared for and provided for, but he is disowning them. This treasured Possession, this kingdom of priests. Yahweh speaks to Moses and says, Listen, go down because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, their true nature is being seen. I can understand. They are what? They are a corrupt and stiff necked people. They will not bow to the way of God. Disobedience in a very short time. <laughs> just heard the first commandments and they're a joke. <laughs> You've got to be kidding. How can I? No, no, no. I'll make up my own mind. And justifiably, here is God in his righteousness and in his holiness, he's pulling out. The deal is off with these people. Destroy them, start again. That's, that's the sense of it. And start again with the likes of Moses. At least he's the man who will start listening to me and wants to. And notice the heart, though, of Moses. Mediator Moses, verse 11. Why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt and with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants. Notice where he goes. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or Jacob, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land as I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Where's his appeal? His appeal is to the promise of God. Here is Moses arguing the case and going to God and saying, but you said. You made a promise. There is a covenant. And Yahweh relents. Says nothing more. 
And Moses goes down, this is, this is heavy stuff, then he goes down the mountain, two tablets of stone under his arm. As he goes down, of course, Moses locks eyes on the golden calf. There's dancing and there's revelry, remember, and Moses is livid. Moses sees for himself this corruption. He sees what God has been describing to him, this stiff-necked people. And this stiff-necked people have shattered a relationship with Yahweh. And he throws the tablets of stone. The words of obedience, oh, we will obey every word that you say, God. And there is punishment for that rebellion you look down to verse 20 in, verse, in chapter 20, 32. And he, Moses, took the calf that they had made, burned it with fire, ground it to powder, scattered on the water and made the Israelites drink it. And then Moses fixes his stare on Aaron. Aaron, I don't know what shade of red Moses was at this stage, but Aaron is pretty scared. Please explain what's going on. Why is this happening? Oh, well, you know those nasty, evil, whinging people that we've been putting up with for months and months? Well, they gave me their gold. We threw it in the fire. (laughs) And look, out comes a calf. (laughs) Uh, Who would have thought that? Well, can you believe that? (laughs) No. They've committed a great sin. Yahweh has disowned his people. They are a laughing stock to their enemies, this holy nation. They're a joke. They have soiled the name of Yahweh and that's what's happening. Judgment is swift and severe. Moses Moses is not out of control here. It's, it's, It's a pretty savage account as you read it, but what's he doing? He is concerned about the honor of God himself. And you see, it's a righteous anger that turns. It's a righteous anger that wants to uphold, preserve what God wants, that God said, what God is about. And his name has been sullied, has been dragged through the mud. And that's a good question, isn't it? Do we ever, do we ever get upset about the dishonouring and insulting of our God? Or the things that are happening unjustly in our world which we know are against God's ways And then we encounter lots of that sort of stuff in our world. And as Christians, how to respond? Here is a man who knows what righteousness looks like and responds. But there's lots of stuff, isn't there? I mean, the the issue with asylum seekers, that's heavy on the news, isn't it? And our heart of compassion and care, our our heart as an Australian, let alone a Christian Australian, um, asylum seekers, domestic violence, sexual abuse. What's the Christian response to that? Sometimes our Christian response is a no response. We don't seem to get very upset about injustice in our world. We don't seem to go through the right channels to move and try and move and prayerfully move through some of these things. There seems to be an indifference in our Christian response. In fact, sometimes that response is an embarrassment. But here is Moses. He takes up the cause and it's not just, I will deal out judgment because God has been, because God has been upset or sinned against Notice what he does. He says to them, he's straight back up the mountain and he's saying, you have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. 
Notice the words that are here. Now, what's he saying? I'll go up the hill again. I'll go back to God. I'll take a box of chocolates, a bunch of flowers. How about my firstborn lamb? Well, that stuff hasn't been instituted yet. No sacrifice, no. What does he do? So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin this people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, if not, then blot me out of the book that you have written. Uh, just Is that hitting anywhere? That's amazing, isn't it? I know these people have sinned against you in a great way. Yes, punishment has to be dealt, but, but please forgive them and blot me out. <laughs> Ever felt like doing that? Here is someone, the stiff-necked, rebellious people. You mean you'd, 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 t- you'd take their place for the punishment that they deserve? Now that rings bells, doesn't it? (laughs) Uh, Someone willing to die in the place of sinners. Yeah, it does ring bells. We'll get there in a minute. Hold that thought. Okay, so what do we see? Third point. So God does behave graciously. We see that response. Here is God who interacts with Moses. And the Lord is clear. The Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. And he struck the whole nation with a plague. And the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and this people whom you brought out from Egypt and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob saying, I will give to your descendants, I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, Hittites, Pezurites, Hivites, all those otherites. So you might go up to the land flowing with milk and honey but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I will destroy you on the way. Yahweh is saying, yes, There is deep sadness here. Nowhere through the rest of this book does God call Israel his people. Nowhere else. It's, It's like this relationship has been seriously severed. But while his patience might have run out, the promise hasn't. And that's what the link is through Exodus all the way. Here is a God who keeps his word as he said it to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. This is the great promise to bring this land which was flowing with milk and honey, this promised land. And this is what I've made that, that is my oath and I'm faithful. Yahweh is faithful, keeps his promises. That's what's going to happen. But he won't go with them. And and as as this little section finishes off, as you get through chapter 34... Yes, there is this great sense of, well, they're on their way again. I know, what's a lot, you know how you have a, you can have a serious falling out with someone. You know, just imagine if if Paul and I had a serious argument. You know, no, that would never happen. But, or you've had that that ding-dong argument with that significant other in your life. And it gets that way, doesn't it? I mean, things are said. Things are said. Things are out there. You can't take those words back. Um, Do they really think that way? Is that what they really believe about our relationship? Is that how indifferent they are to what I say? They don't really trust me at all? 
And you get that sense of it in these, in these, in these, in these chapters in Exodus. Yet there is this glimmer of hope. And it's through this significant relationship between Moses and Yahweh. There is an intimacy between God and Moses. They have this tent of meeting which is outside the camp. It's not in the camp of the Israelites. It's outside the camp. And there's Moses meeting and the cloud coming, descending on this tent of meeting and all the other Israelites wistfully looking and and seeing from their tents this relationship between God and Moses. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Isn't that fantastic? That this is a face to face. Um, As far as God is concerned with Moses, you are the one in whom I will communicate and pass that on to the others. It's you and for your sake and for the sake of my word, my covenant, my oath, that I will continue to be and show myself to be this God. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. The glorious thing is that God continues revealing himself to Moses and keeps establishing himself with Moses. Now this morning I hope you're feeling the weight of what it is when God says sin hurts, sin distances. And here is the God though whose nature is compassionate and forgiving. And we know, don't we, because here is our God who has shown us so much more. This God is a jealous God. Exodus 34 verse 14, Do not worship any other God. Don't go to golden calves. For the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. That's his name, Jealous. We can have no other gods. Nothing must be in the place of God. That's what he's saying. It is personal. God feels that. He is personal. He's not an object. He's not a thing. He's not a golden calf. Yahweh cares deeply and that's where our allegiance has got to be. And that's what's happening. As you move through this, you start to understand this is the God. And as you move through the rest of the Bible, of course, we look back in the account of Exodus and we see the lessons we need to learn. We don't want to wrench it out of its context, looking at Exodus. But what we do see, of course, is that as we look back in the filter of the New Testament, we understand the coming of Jesus. We see that here is a God. These laws are not just laws, arbitrary laws just set in place. Here are Ten Commandments. The commandments actually see their fulfilment in this person of Jesus. He is the one who finally and completely and absolutely fulfills all the law and the commandments. But more than that, this is, this is God's own son. You've got to remember that in this days, uh, these days of sin, there is no measure, there's no way of atonement. There is nothing there. There is no tabernacle. There's no official priesthood at this point of time when Moses is dealing with this. 
There is certainly no once and for all atonement for sin. There's no once and for all forgiveness that would be raised through just the one. And Moses, even though he wasn't involved in the rebellion, he is not the perfect sinless substitute. And you only have to read Exodus to see that Moses is as flawed as you and I. No, no. God has shown who he is in the person of Jesus. And he has dealt with our sin in the person of Jesus. The only, the one and only solution for our sin is the person of Jesus. He is the perfect lamb that takes away the sin of the world. He is the one that shows the compassion, the grace, the love of God. And that's what we need to see. And I guess this morning, and I know we'll finish up, but what we see this morning, of course, is as we move through to the New Testament, as we actually understand thousands and thousands of years of history, the cycles of sin, the repentance was there, but then the restoration, yes, and then sin again in the nation of Israel. And they kept on going off, and they're an adulterous nation. They are a sinful nation. They get hankering after the gods of the other nations. and so. Uh, but here is God they were looking for, and here is a God that now says, a new covenant has been established. The prophets had promised it, replacing these, star, these stony hearts, these hearts of stone with hearts of flesh to release the Spirit of God. And so now we come, and confidently we can come and say, yes, I know that God has dealt with my sin in the person of Jesus because on the cross, that's where it's all established. I trust you understand that this morning, that you know the forgiveness for your sin, no matter how bad it's been, no matter how detailed and how the depth of that sin, it can be absorbed as you put your faith and trust in what Jesus did at Calvary because his death covers all sin. I was speaking to my neighbour, uh, we were having a beer in his garage, as we do from time to time, and um, it came to a conversation, I'd just come out of a hospital and we're just talking about life and death, as you do. Actually, I've heard, I've heard a great line uh, to introduce yourself if you're a minister. If you're a minister and someone says to you, because everyone says, yeah, what do you do? You know, you get on a plane or something. What do you do? Oh, I'm a minister, Christian minister. That sort of cuts off conversation pretty quickly. And people think about it, they rewind everything that they've said and done. You know. um, great line if you're a minister. Uh, when people ask you what you do, just tell them that you prepare people for death. Prepare people for death. Oh, you're an undertaker. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm a minister. And we're talking to my, my anyway, can I come back to hospital? Here I am. Um, we're talking about life and death with my neighbour. My neighbour, and I say, I don't know how it came into conversation. I just said, well, if I die, I've got a certainty that I'll go to heaven and I'll be with Jesus. My neighbour looked at me and said, you can't say that. He said, yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, you can. No, you can't. Yes, you can. No, you can't. Why? Ah, I thought you'd never ask. But as I tried to open the Bible and talk about Jesus, I said, I don't want anything of that. Don't give me any of that sort of stuff. How do you know that's true? That's all been proven to be you know, wrong and false. And I said, well, how about we... We didn't even get out of all the words out of my mouth. You know? <laughs> because he wants to trust in his goodness. I have a great relationship with him. That won't mar our relationship. Um, he took me to the airport the next day and drove me back home a few days later. So, you know, we're, we're on good terms, but... It sticks in our craw that we, we can't do anything for
for the forgiveness. There's not, there's not enough Hail Marys, is there? There's not enough penance that we can do. And there isn't a goodness, it isn't a balance, my bad stuff, good stuff. No, no, no. It comes down to this. And if you understand and know this, it's not that the commandment says you shall have no other gods but me. It's because we understand the grace, the compassion. You're a God who is slow to anger and merciful. Yes, you are holy and you are righteous and sin needs to be dealt with. But that's the glory that we know as Christians. We know that our sin has been dealt with in Jesus. But we still have to war against that sinful nature inside, isn't it? What is stopping us from serving him wholeheartedly, passionately? I don't know what that is for you. But if there's anything, someone, something that takes the place of God, it's destroying your relationship and you're drifting away. And this is what God is saying. You know, if we're not, what's stopping us carving out time in our day to listen to God and to speak to God? I, I, I can sit up for hours and watch the cricket, but getting up early to read my Bible and pray, that's hard. And sometimes it's the family, isn't it? And the family becomes first. Oh, I can't do that because I've got this on and that on. Have they become in the place of God? Are they destroying a relationship, a deep relationship with God? Because it's Jesus himself that says, I want all of you. I am Lord. And that means I direct your path. And that means as we understand his love and compassion, it is no, you know, when I pray, my prayer doesn't become something that I just absorb for myself. It's my issues and my family and my health and whatever. No, no. It's me wanting to grow, knowing all that he has done for me. I, he's not against me. The things that we sang about this morning, didn't we? Ah. The good and the bad, the dark times, I will praise you because they are a blessing. I don't know how that works through. But the suffering and pain that I'm going through isn't indicating that God is against me. It's an indicator that God is working in me and showing me and directing my life. And when you have the mindset that knows God is for me, none can be against me. And everything is working. And that's the God we want to know better. Just asking ourselves again though, aren't we? And probably say it often, and we should say it often, is there something that's in the way? Is my sport in the way? Is my career in the way? Is my fishing in the way? Is something in the way and stopping and being that God, that idol, have I stopped thinking about God in the way the Bible directs our thinking about God? Do I find myself grappling and trying to change the words in the Bible? The gospel I want to manufacture myself, I want to tweak it a little bit to make it more palatable to my neighbour. When we do that, we're dishonouring God and we're severing a relationship because he is the one who's caused us great love, has done much for us. And that takes effort and time, doesn't it? To draw nearer to God, to know this God. He's not a golden calf. And he is knowable. He's revealed himself. Do I want to understand him? When uh, my doctor said to me that um, to stay healthy, you better get involved in some more exercise. And I said, oh, yeah. And a more prominent doctor in my own congregation said, well, that equals 
30 minutes a day most days. Huh? Where do I fit that in every day? Well, if you care about your heart, you're going to do it. And if you look at the doctor's bills, you're definitely going to do it. Friends, we've got to keep our eye focused on the gospel because that's what's driving us. Our lives naturally focus on the God we want to believe in and trust. Our lives naturally go to our default, which is selfie, selfie on the wall. Who has the most likes of them all? Because our focus is on us and it's not on him. Keep off the grass, caution, wet paint, do not touch. Well, that's a red, red rag to a bull, isn't it? Um, we just have to check that out. And here is God who says, don't have any gods but me. Trust me. You feel your sin. Know that I am the one that has dealt with and still deals with, continually deals with our sin. We have a far better mediator than Moses. Moses who was prepared to be blotted out for the sake of this. Here is Jesus who has died, who has come. Our sins are dealt with there. My dear children, I write to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone sins, uh, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defence, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, we pray for your grace and mercy. We pray for help to see that you are the God who has shown us exactly what you are like and who you are. Father, you are the God who is, is to be worshipped 24-7. And Father, give us, we pray, hearts that want to serve you well. Help us to go out and to be your disciples. And that means putting you first, denying ourselves, taking up our cross. It means taking in all that you've said, believing it and trusting it and loving you with all our hearts and with all our mights. Father, help us, we pray, and give us grace to see that you are the God and the only God who deserves that worship. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.